You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future, but until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading. Our scripture reading today comes from 2 Kings 13, 10 through 21. In the 37th year of Joash, king of Judah, Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, began to reign over Israel in Samaria, and he reigned for 16 years. He also did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin, but he walked in them. Now the rest of the acts of Joash, and all that he did, and the might with which he fought against Amaziah, the king of Judah, they are, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Joash slept with his fathers, and Jeroboam sat on his throne. And Joash was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. Now when Elijah had fallen sick with the illness of which he was to die, Joash, king of Israel, went down to him and wept before him, crying, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And Elijah said to him, Take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, Draw the bow. And he drew it. And Elijah laid his hands on the king's hands. And he said, Open the windows eastwards. And he opened it. Then Elijah said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, The Lord's arrow of victory the arrow of victory over Syria. For you shall fight the Syrians in Aphek until you have made an end to them. And he said, take the arrows. And he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground with them. And he struck three times and stopped. Then the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck down Syria until you've made an end of it. But now you will strike down Syria only three times. So Elijah died and they buried him. Now bands of Moabites used to invade the land in the spring of the year. And as a man was being buried, behold, a marauding band was seen, and the man was thrown into the grave of Elijah. And as soon as the man touched the bones of Elijah, he revived and stood on his feet. This is the word of the Lord. Please join me in a word of prayer as we examine this text together. Father God, Lord, we thank you so much for your word, that you speak to us, that um, you give us ears to hear and eyes to see. God, we ask that your word may be planted deeply and may find good soil, that the thorny cares of this world would not choke it, that the rays of this earth, of rays of persecution would not scorch it. God, your people are listening. We ask that you can speak to us through your spirit. Be with us, O Lord. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. A few years ago, I was a teacher at a youth group at the church that I was serving at, and essentially, I got into somewhat of a debate with one of the students there. And this student was essentially claiming that there was such a thing as true altruism, that people can be good, there's good and innocent actions. And what I was claiming was, in fact, although these are great things, things that people do, and the examples he gave were the millions of dollars that go to donations or various places, but I was saying, although these are great things, they are not all good, right? We are in such a way polluted, corrupt, right, because of sin that 
permeates within us and causes us to sin and others to sin. And there was some back and forth, and we never really came to an agreement. But near the end of the conversation, I essentially said that there is more than meets the eye. And he just didn't agree with me. And today we examine the last moments of Elisha, the prophet's life. And again, we see a king in great need. It seems like every king in Israel is in need. This king is in great need. And he does what seems to be a noble act. He returns to the Lord. He goes to the prophet of Israel and he speaks to him and obeys exactly what he's telling him to do. <clears throat> as noble as this act might be, I would like to claim that there is more than meets the eye. That perhaps there is something going on in the backgrounds of his heart. And perhaps we might even say that he is half-hearted. That he is only really half-committed. And friends, today I'd like to analyze King Jehoash and find that we too might be the same. We too return to the Lord half-heartedly. We obey half-heartedly. However, our God is not like this. Although you and I half-heartedly fail in so many ways, our God is wholeheartedly committed to his people. And we'll be seeing this in our text laid out. And hopefully these three points will help us move along in our story. The first point, the half-hearted return to the Lord. The second, the half-hearted obedience to the Lord. And third, the wholeheartedness of God. Our half-hearted commitment is shown when we simply return to the Lord for our own purposes. And we see that in our story today. King Jehoash approaches Elijah in his very last moments of his life. He comes to Elijah with tears, weeping, crying out, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And we must notice here that in this time of crisis, right, the Syrian army is on the rise. They might strike Israel at any point, and King Jehoash would be not king anymore. That he has an inherited army, right? He has a defense, but this defense is one that is not that great. If you read verse 7 of this chapter, it tells us that what he has inherited, this army that he has inherited is only made up of 50 horsemen, 10 chariots, and 10,000 footmen. This army is described as dust at the threshing. Perhaps in our terms, we might even describe it as mire or clay that has been pulverized into fine powder. And this army has been pulverized by Syria. <coughs> and this is the army that this king has. And this is the army that he has to use. And this is the great crisis that he is facing. And he begs Elisha the prophet, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. These are the very words. If you remember, Elisha says to Elijah in 2 Kings 2, when Elijah was being taken up into a whirlwind to heaven, Elisha says these very words. However, this king means it in such a different way. Let's look at this statement. The first part, my father, my father. The king recognizes that the prophet is someone to be revered, someone to be respected. He's not just some nobody. He's not some Joe Schmo on the streets. Right? He is the prophet of God to bring the word of God to God's people. And the king sees that and he seeks him. He seeks the Lord. And at first we might again think that this is a noble act. <coughs> but the king seeking him, we see that his intentions are shifted, that his, his thoughts are more so about himself than returning to the Lord. And we see this in the next statement. King Jehoash's statement, the next part, he cries out, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. The king recognizes his limited army, right? His limited forces, his resources, 
the king recognizes this and he cries out to the prophet in fear that he would die and lose all of Israel, right? Israel would be absolutely doomed if the prophet were to die and returns to him. And instead of him trying to reestablish perhaps his loyalty to God, right, coming to the prophet, instead of repenting from his sins, it's not so. His desires were somewhere else. All he wanted was to still reign as king, to receive victory. And reading the story, I recalled an event that happened to me at my time at Ryerson University, or I guess now called Toronto Metropolitan University. I was speaking to one of my non-Christian friends, and he was essentially trying to argue that Christians are only in it because they gain something. Right? Christians believe in Christianity because they, they, they get help or wealth or whatever it may be. Right? He kept asking the question, why are you Christian? Like, what, what do you get from it? How do you benefit? And I quickly realized that he wasn't so interested about the Christian faith and wanting to even become a Christian so that he could give his allegiance to God and, and, and serve God and to glorify God. But he was more so in it so that he could get something out of it. Perhaps we might even say that he was more interested on how God would serve him rather than how he would serve God. Friends, I think in so many ways, we are more interested in that way, are we not? How can God serve us instead of how we can be of service to him? And to be fair, it's not a bad thing to seek good things from God. It's not a bad thing for us to benefit in such a way. However, I think we do fall into the problem with this when we are only seeking God so that we can get benefits rather than seeking God himself. And like King Jehoash, he approaches the prophet with these carefully constructed words trying to get help. In such a crisis, he seeks a solution. And friends, for you and I, is this not the same? That perhaps we might only be seeking the Lord when we only need help. And that that help, when we receive it, we too flee so, so quickly. That we tr treat God as a means to our own ends that we treat God as some stepping stone that we step on to cross so that we can get to the other side. Friends, I invite you to think about this. Have you ever experienced a time of crisis? And I know for a lot of us, ones quite recently, when things are not going as planned, when you might get sick, when you experience great loss of a loved one, is it only then when you return to the Lord and again, please hear me out. I hope this is clear. It's a good thing that we seek the Lord and we go to him. But because we are so fallen, because we are so sinful, friends, our intentions are not as pure and innocent that we might think it may be. Just maybe we see an opportunity to benefit. Just maybe we see an opportunity to gain. Are you returning to the Lord wholeheartedly, recognizing that God himself is your end? He, is he your greatest good? Is he the one who we ought to owe all our worship and praise to? Or are we only simply returning so that we can get something out of him? And friends, I invite you to really examine these things. The king of Israel is so focused on which he does not have. We might be so focused on which we don't, do not have. Right? And forgetting about the Lord, we ignore the Lord right when we get it. God, this king so desperately needed God. And we might even ask, is he so blind to not see that? 
And in so many ways, friends, I bet we are so blind as well, and we truly do miss the point. Not only does King Jehoash half-heartedly returns to the Lord, he half-heartedly obeys the Lord. And this is our second point. And what we'll be considering here today is that our half-hearted commitment to God is shown in our half-hearted obedience to him. If we continue on the story, we see God's grace, that Elisha actually gives what this king is seeking, victory, right? As long as he passes these two tests. And why do I call them tests? Well, I think Elisha is not fooled by the king. Right? He knows exactly what's going on. And this king is basically given these two tasks. The first test, the king is told to open the window and shoot the arrow eastward, right? And he takes the bow and quiver and he prepares the arrow, the arrow into the bow and with the help of the prophet's hand, he shoots and Elisha declares the arrow of victory over Syria, that this king would beat the Syrian army in the land of Aphek. And you could probably imagine that this king is probably so overjoyed. He's ecstatic. He heard exactly what he wanted to hear. And he thought to himself, he had victory in the bag. Victory was his and his throne would not be taken. He would still reign as king. However, there was one more test that he had to have passed. He was asked to take the bow and quiver again and to strike the ground. And he does so. He does it once, twice, and a third. And he stops, thinking that perhaps that might be enough. But we see Elisha, the prophet, getting quite angry. He says, you should have struck in the ground three or five or six times. Right? In other words, maybe he's saying that, why did you stop? The king thought he had victory in the bag, but right then and there, after striking the ground three times, he probably knew, oh shoot, I should have struck in the ground more. Although Elisha did not explicitly tell him to strike the ground five or six times, I think it's safe for us to imply that perhaps out of zeal, he should have struck in the ground more. Perhaps there was five or six arrows in the quiver that he should have used those arrows and pounded the ground just like how Syria pounded Israel. He should have pounded them as almost like dust of the threshing. And perhaps thinking that he, he did enough, after the first test, he thinks to himself that the second one, he could just do it half-assed. He actually doesn't need to do it all committed. In grade 12, I was applying to different universities. <coughs> and I was so scared of not getting it. I applied to nine different schools. If your kids are, are trying to apply to universities and they apply to nine, please don't do it. It's such a waste of money. In the first semester of grade 12, I worked so hard. I went to every single class. Even though times where I was sick, I would still go. Right? I studied during lunch, I got home, I studied, I power napped for 20 minutes, I studied some more. And at the end of that semester, I received various acceptance letters. And probably the third or fourth letter, I saw it in deep blue font, Ryerson University. And I opened it and it said, congratulations, you have been accepted to the food and nutrition program at Ryerson University. And you could imagine the smile on my face, the joy that I had. That's the exact program that I wanted to get into. I told my parents, my friends, everyone. But when the second semester began, I thought to myself, what's the point of trying? I, I got my acceptance, right? 
I began to not really do what I, I'm supposed to do from being diligent. I became lazy from being gra having gratitude and giving thanksgiving. I became entitled. And very quickly, I really just did the bare minimum. And I, I really only just passed. And why do I share this? Well, I think we as people, in so, in so many ways, treat God in that way, do we not? That we'll do everything that God tells us to do up until the point where we get that acceptance letter. But then right when we get that acceptance letter, we begin to slack off and perhaps even forget about God. We ignore him. And even worse, maybe we become so apathetic towards him. Friends, have you experienced something like this? Where you wanted something from God and you would obey him up until the point where he actually gives it to you and you start slipping away? When the Lord has answered your prayers for a spouse, for an amazing family, for a new job, for a new community, do we only then obey to that point and then slip away? <coughs> Friends, I, I invite you to really think about that. And, and I've been in so many ways, and I know this for myself as I was reading this, this text. And so it reigns so true for me. Brothers and sisters, God has called all Christians into a covenant relationship with him. It is an ongoing relationship. It is not one that can be broken. Our obedience to the Lord cannot be thought of as some checklist that we can just check off and do. It cannot be thought of as some hoops that we need to leap through or simply as a nine-to-five job that when the clock strikes five, we can just clock out. And the king misses this. He is so worried about himself. He is unwilling to obey the Lord wholeheartedly. It is God who he so desperately needed. It is God who his allegiance ought to have been, his loyalty to. Not just some victory for this king. Our God is worthy of our praise and our worship. Our God is deserving of our wholehearted commitment our obedience ought to be to him wholehearted, for our God is wholeheartedly committed to his people. And this brings us to the last point, the wholeheartedness of God. Thus far, we've seen in our text that this king, King Jehoash, is only really half-hearted in his commitments to God. He's only, he only really returns to God so that he can get what he wants. He, he obeys God up until the point of hearing those words that he so desired. All he wanted was victory. A foolish, foolish King Jehoash. If, if, if only he was able to look beyond his own interests and see that God is who he so desperately needed. That rather than seeking his own life, maybe he would have found new resurrected life in God. Rather than seeking to establish his own kingdom, maybe he would have found that the Lord is good in all that he does in establishing his kingdom. And friends, we too have failed in such a way. I hope that point is clear. We too have failed to obey God for the right reasons, to return to him in the right way. God sees all our ulterior motives, our hidden agendas. He, he sees right through you as the saying goes. Right? He is not fooled. However, the good news is where the king fails, our Lord Jesus Christ, the true king, fulfills. The king fails to obey, but Jesus perfectly obeys. 
The king seeks his own good, but Christ sought the inheritance of his people. Where the king is half-hearted, Christ Jesus, the true king, is wholeheartedly committed to you and I, even to the point of death, death on a cross, so that you and I might have life. And we, we get a picture of this in the last two verses of our text, verse 20 and 21. Elisha finally dies and he is buried. But something strange happens that this anonymous man gets resurrected life. That when the marauders from Moabite come into the land, he, this man he is hastily thrown into the pit so that, or he's thrown into the pit and received resur- resurrected life. In such an interesting way, in, in, in a lot of scripture, and even in this text, we see that life comes from death. New resurrected life is given to this anonymous man even after an encounter with this dead bones of Elisha. Friends, is this not the good news? Is this not the gospel? Because of one man's death, life has come about and life can be given. The bones of Elisha is only but a foreshadow of what the death of the greater prophet would give. Jesus Christ himself It is our Lord Jesus Christ that in his death, you and I might have new resurrected life and he offers it to all those who would believe in him. Because of Christ's death, life has been given to the many. And for this reason, brothers and sisters, this is how God has loved you, that he would give up his son for our sins. That this once for all death of Jesus Christ, you and I might have new resurrected life This is how our God has wholeheartedly committed himself to his people. Therefore, brothers and sisters, I hope that we can see that our God is worthy of all praise, honor, and glory. He is worthy of our wholehearted commitments, not because we have to do something to get something out of God, but because God has accomplished it all for us already on the cross so that you and I might have life. This is our Lord. This is what he's done. And I hope that that reigns so true for you as it is for me. Let us pray. Father, Lord, we thank you that while we were still sinners, you died for us. That we have rebelled in such a way that we only seek you in sometimes, in, in times of trial and tribulation so that we can get what we want, so that we might just get some help. But how many times, oh Lord, do we forget you and leave you? But God, Lord, we thank you that you are a God who is wholeheartedly committed to your people, that you love us so, that Christ would die for us, that he may be a ransom for us. Help us to know this Christ. Help us to know you, love you, worship you, for you are worthy of our wholehearted commitment, worthy of all praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christchurch Toronto podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ChristChurchToronto.ca or email us at info at ChristChurchToronto.ca.